Welcome to the Speak In Flow podcast. Let's unleash your leadership voice. Listen in to the untold stories of high-performing leaders where they will reveal their golden takeaways to help you become fearless communicators and fast-track your career. Join us for the journey. Dear listeners, I am pleased that you're here today because I have a wonderful guest. Her name is Kay Wakataki. She has had a distinguished military career, retired as Army Colonel, served as Chief Legal Officer for one of the largest military medical facilities, and the Budget Officer for the Pentagon, won numerous awards, including one of the most prestigious in the military, the Legion of Merit and the best lawyer under 40 from the NAPABA, which stands for the National Asian Pacific American Bar Association. She has made a successful transition into the private sector now, offering general counsel with deep expertise in cybersecurity. I'm so glad she's here because obviously she's successful, but the environment that she is in and she was in was not set up for someone like her. It was not an easy process for her. So I am so glad she's taken the time to share with us some of her wisdom and expertise. And so I'm glad that you're here. I hope you enjoy the episode and learn just as much as I did. Hello, Kay. It's good to be with you. Glad you're here. Hello, Melinda. Thank you so much for having me. I love being here. I'm so excited. We're going to dive right in. I have so many questions to ask you and just um, something that comes to top of mind is just your unique experience being in the military, predominantly male, as a minority female leader in there, growing up in the ranks, moving up in the ranks, what is that one key leadership principle that you can share with us? Well, over my career, I've had to make many decisions. And the one key principle that I learned early on in my career that I always remembered throughout actually came from my father-in-law, who was not in the military, but I thought it was completely appropriate. And that principle is, to quote him, he said, just make a decision. We'll criticize it later. And I repeat that phrase to myself repeatedly whenever I have to make a decision and be decisive. I want to avoid getting into what I call analysis paralysis, Mm -hmm. being paralyzed, thinking too deeply about whether I should do choice A or choice B and what would people think of me. Now, the story of how my father-in-law came to say this was actually kind of a cute story. He was in Miami for a family wedding and he was in the car that was driven by one of the sons or a son-in-law and it was uh, three of his sons or sons-in-law and himself sitting in the front seat. And they wanted to find a certain store in Miami where they could find Cuban cigars or not really Cuban cigars, but cigars made by this lady or ladies from Cuba 
and they roll it. So it's like Cuban style cigars. And they were at an intersection when some of the sons said, oh, I think it's to the left. And the other said, no, I think it's to the right. And they were sitting there for a couple of what probably felt like minutes, which when you're at an intersection seems like a long time. And they were sitting there arguing over, oh, no, it's to the left or it's to the right. And my father-in-law suddenly piped up and said, grumpily, just make a decision. We'll criticize it later. And that broke the ice, and the driver decided, you know what, I'm going to go, whatever, I'm going to go left. And he made that decision. Um, I don't remember whether it was the right decision or not, that they have to turn around, but it got them out of the intersection. It got them out of that paralysis of staying at the intersection section and trying to figure out what's the right way because uh, we want to get to that store. So. I love that phrase, just yeah. make a decision, we'll criticize it later, because there's so much to it. It was something that he just blurted out out of frustration, my father-in-law did, but yeah. it's so wise. You can, you can expect to get criticized anyway, so don't worry about it. Just make a decision. I, if people think, oh, what would people think about me if I – do A or if I do B or is this a better choice over that? Well, people are not, there's no decision. So if you just make a decision, even if, if it's the wrong decision, it gets action done. It gets one step closer to completion. Mm -hmm. It just kind of gets the ball rolling and people are moving even if it's the wrong decision, well, now you know which was the wrong decision and you can go ahead and pivot and make the right decision. So I love that phrase, just make a decision, we'll criticize it later. And that has helped me over the years to be decisive. I think people look for decisive leaders. Hmm. You don't have to have a title to be a leader. Right. But if you act with decisiveness, and authority and confidence, then people will look to you as a leader, regardless of if you have a title. I've had leaders when I was younger, and I, I still had leaders as I moved up the ranks. Uh, you all always have a boss in the military. And I've had leaders who just were very indecisive, and as a follower, it was very frustrating mm -hmm. because nothing got done. You're waiting for the boss or the leader to make a decision mm -hmm. and they're not making a decision. And meanwhile, we're just sitting there and waiting. Mm -hmm. You know, I haven't been in like a combat situation, but you can imagine in a combat, like a battle with bullets flying, you see in movies where, especially in movies where somebody freezes with paralysis because they don't know what the right decision is. And then in a different movie or in a different scene, you see the soldiers who are decisive and they just go and they charge the hill or they just take action and people start following. You inspire people by the action you take. So I think of that phrase, just make a decision. We'll criticize it later. Oh, my God. so wise. 
It is. But how do you balance that with this is something, okay, I'm having, I struggle and I take some time just with my website design. Now you're talking about people's lives. How do you, (laughs) how do you stay confident and courageous in your decision when people's lives are at stake? Yes. Well, um, the first thing is you have to have the competence. You have to be competent. So Mm. I constantly studied, learned my craft, my core competencies. I never went into a job and thought, oh, let me just wing it. I always prepared. And I think preparation is key to having that confidence. And then you just have to trust that your preparation was enough yeah. when it's time to make a decision right. and you make a decision. That makes sense. So Definitely. if you don't prepare, then you won't have that confidence. And certainly mm-hmm. you will have a harder time making a confident decision. You will have, you will have that indecision mm-hmm. thinking, well, did I prepare enough? Do I have all the facts? And, and there, of course, you won't have all the facts. You won't. There are many times that I wasn't fully knowledgeable of of all the facts, but based on my preparation, my knowledge, everything I did before the time came to make a decision, I felt confident that I did everything I could. In the military, I worked hard. I worked long hours. I worked hard. I was never the type who would say, oh, it's five o'clock, time to go home unless I had to, because I had kids to pick up or, you know, some other important meeting or event that I had to attend. But I worked hard and I spent a lot of hours, extra hours, making sure I was as prepared as possible. Now, that that had to come with experience, Uh too. Right. Do you feel like you have to work harder because you're a minority female? Or... I'm just in curious. some ways, mm-hmm. in some ways, I had to fight the stereotype, mm-hmm. but it wasn't it wasn't too much with my legal competence, with my mm-hmm. intellect that I felt I had to work hard. I mean, I felt I had to work hard because I was a lawyer, but where I felt I had to work harder because I was a female was the physical aspects oh. of being in the military. Okay. And I would think of what are the stereotypes that I have to shatter? I'm Asian, so the stereotype for being Asian is, oh, they're meek, they're passive, they're not assertive. So I had to make sure I was assertive, and that goes with make a decision, we'll criticize it later. So if I am not assertive, if if I'm passive, that kind of feeds into the stereotype of, oh, she's a quiet Asian. But then the other stereotype I had was being a female. And the stereotype is female women are weaker than men. They're not as athletic. Mm-hmm. So I worked really hard in the gym, in the mm-hmm. physical fitness. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just thinking I want to be the fastest runner or I want to do the most sit-ups. I think running and sit-ups are something that uh, women can run fast. There are a lot of women who are faster than men, marathon runners, sprinters. But what are the physical exercises that stereotypically are difficult for women? And that usually dealt with upper body strength. 
pull-ups, push-ups, and climbing a rope. Those were three things that I thought, okay, if I as a female can do what most men don't expect women to do, knock out 10 or 15 pull-ups, do 50 or 60 push-ups, and climb a rope, those three things, if I can do those, then I will have shattered the stereotype of being a female. And when I was a young captain, and captain is a junior officer, one of the younger um, ranks in the Army JAG Corps as as a lawyer, um, it was funny because I made sure I was working hard on my push-ups, and we had to take a physical fitness test. And after the physical fitness test where I did, I think I did 68 push-ups in two minutes, when we came into the office afterwards, later on that day, after a shower and getting into your clean uniforms, I felt like the men in my unit Mm -hmm. respected me more and actually listened to my legal advice. They didn't see me as this young, little attorney, female. I was the only female in an artillery unit. So I wasn't, they, they, before the physical fitness test, they Mm -hmm. thought, okay, here's Kay. Yeah, she just, you know, she's just the lawyer. She won't be able to do what we do as artillery men. And so after the physical fitness test where I did, 68 push-ups, the guys were talking about me. And then I could also tell in the office or in the unit, they were friendlier to me and gave me more respect. So I joke that my legal advice suddenly had more authority Mm -hmm. once I could do more push-ups than some of the guys. That is such a powerful story. That is such, I mean, you're the drive that you had to dig deep to say, hey, I'm going to do this. I can do this. And actually do it. And that's interesting how it's not now it's both your competence and your skills, a lawyer, and then also the physical part that actually elevated you. Unfortunately, we have to do that. I mean, because like you said, what is the motivation? What is the stereotype that they have? Like if there's somebody that you feel like the naysayer or feel like is going to look at you in a certain way, like really digging in and understanding where their perceptions may be falling and then just breaking the the barrier and shattering it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Wow. And what about communicating in terms of did you knew did you did you need to use a different tone? Do you recall? Or uh, like yes. assertiveness, you said you, you were more assertive, make made quick decisions. Uh what about mm-hmm. tone or language? Definitely. Yes. That mm-hmm. changed depending on what kind of client I had mm-hmm. or what kind of unit I was in. I've been stationed with different types of units. I was with an infantry, uh, an infantry brigade. Infantry are those ground soldiers that you see in war movies. Usually they're the ones carrying the rifle and shooting. They're, They're the infantrymen. I've also been with a field artillery unit. Those are the big, again, in war movies, they're the big guns, like mortars, well, Anyway, there were the big guns, like, um, and those were, at the time I was assigned to them, they were all male units, except for the only females were the staff, like 
finance clerks or the lawyers, you know, sometimes we would get women assigned to those units. So I was a female in those male units, or I was also with the U.S. Army Special Operations Command. So those are very male-dominated units. My language, my vocabulary changed a little bit mm-hmm. when I was with those units. I mm-hmm. used more curse words. The <laughs> F-bomb became part of my daily language, uh-huh. uh, part of my daily, um, it, because I had to fit in. I knew yeah. I wanted to fit in. I did yeah. not want them thinking, oh, case here, we better clean up our language. I wanted them to feel comfortable because as a lawyer, I wanted to know what's going on. I wanted my clients to be honest with me. Right. So if I you know, can adjust my language pattern and let my client feel comfortable, then I will do that. There are other times that I was stationed at the Pentagon and oh. I would be briefing generals or higher ranking officers. And sometimes I had to go over to Congress, to Capitol Hill, and meet with other dignitaries. So, of course, my language would change. I did not use curse words, and I had to be more formal in my language and also my appearance. So Mm -hmm. I did change, but it was based on the client and the environment that I was in. Mm -hmm. Would you do you feel like you change yourself? Or is it more adapting and connecting? It is more of the latter. It is adapting in order to connect with my client. There was one time when I was mid-career and I was, I read the room wrong and I was a little too informal and casual with the group. And one of my friends was in the group. I I made friends with the different units, with individuals in the different units. And one of my friends afterwards gave me some good feedback and said, you know, okay, I know you and I know you're competent, but because you were not, so this was a group of certain officers that were not, um, what what should I call them? They were very hardcore special ops, special operations. Okay. And I came in there thinking, okay, they're special ops. So they're kind of loosey goosey. And I said, Hey, how are you? Okay. So this is what we're going to talk about. And they actually did not, that that was not receptive to them. Mm -hmm. What they wanted instead was, good afternoon, I'm Colonel, or actually, I think I was a major at the time. Good afternoon, I'm Major Wakataki, and today's briefing is going to be on A, B, and C. And I thought, oh, they wanted more robotic. And the next time I had to brief them, I was mad. I was so mad at this group of men. They were all men. And I thought, you know, they want robotic, I'll be a robot. And I gave this angry robotic briefing and my my friend said, that was really good, they liked you. And I thought, oh my gosh, I was actually mad at this group and they actually thought this was a better presentation. So Interesting. yes, I had to adapt. <laughs> really, yeah, you did. I mean, and really understanding, I, you could be all these um I don't know, different, you're flexible. You're flexible in terms of who your audience was and is and and adapting to whatever it is that ne- you needed to do and 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 you wanted to. So it wasn't that right. you didn't want to and then 
it's interesting that even though you're mad, you thought you're mad, they liked it. They liked it. And I think it goes back to communication. They yeah. tuned me out when they did not like me, when they thought I was too casual and not professional. Whereas it's the same kind of demeanor I've used when I would recruit at law schools. It was my friendly, approachable demeanor when I go to law schools to say, hey, you should think about the JAG Corps. It's really a great experience. You learn a lot. So that kind of demeanor was very receptive to law students, but yeah. it was not receptive. And those guys just tuned me out. Um, so it is, if you want to get your point across, you have to know what your audience expects. What are they how do they think and yeah. uh, and adapt to that? And it makes me think of when I help my clients to some personality assessments that generally there's a DIS, there's Myers-Briggs. And so you can frame it and get a better understanding. It's just a starting point. It's not going to be the end all right. be all of your communication. But at least if you can, like you said, find all the information you need and can about your audience before speaking to them, it'll set you up because they'll tune you out. They don't like you from the beginning, um, mm -hmm. tune you yeah. out, and then and then you've lost your opportunity to make an influence, yeah. to make an impact. And so you're you had a lot of experience and different scenarios where you're able to do that. I could see the difference between mm -hmm. the different um, groups, and and so what was the most challenging um, in terms of if you could think about your whole. I mean, you probably have so many, but what is one key one, an example that you can share with us that just really had, was a great a turning point for you in your leadership? I think that example I gave you about being mad, uh -huh. getting, um, that, that really was my turning point because it was mid-career for me. Before, when I was a captain, when I was early in my career, I pretty much had this approachable demeanor yeah. because many of the clients that I had were peers of my peers in, in terms of age and rank. And when I had to talk to someone higher ranking, I of course became more formal because they were scary. They were right. a higher rank. But once I hit that mid-career, a lot of the individuals were – I felt were more peers, um, like majors and lieutenant colonels. I viewed them as more peers because we were all mid to senior career. And so I would still be casual with some of them, or I thought I could be casual with, with them. And when I experienced that presentation that I gave and my friend said they did not like me because I was too casual and informal, that was my turning point that I realized I not only have to look at the, the audience as an individual or in terms of are they my age, are they my peer, but I also have to break it down into what type of unit am I, like what type of organization, I should, when I say unit, I mean organization, what kind of organization and audience group might they be? Because uh, an infantry or a special forces major or lieutenant colonel might be more serious and businesslike 
but a the same rank and age individual who is an attorney in the JAG court or maybe a staffer on Capitol Hill will be turned off by my robotic, business-like speech and might think, well, where, where are the niceties? Like, have a good day, too. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I'll ask, ask me about my day. But uh, I had to, that was a turning point where, where I realized it's more than just thinking of that individual. But what kind of culture does that individual come from? So I think mm-hmm. culture was the additional consideration for me. So, uh, so that was something that I had to start thinking. And how did you use that? How do you apply? How did you apply that specifically going forward? Can you give me an example? Um. Well, can't really think of an example. Uh, in general, I would just think about what's the environment mm-hmm. I'm in. And so many of my assignments were then with, like, at the Pentagon, so meetings with, there were more civilians, so I had to clean up my language, um, definitely not using curse words, profanity mm-hmm. with the civilian workers, because that can be very offensive. But Profanity is not offensive in a uniform, military, male-dominated culture. Um, And I did notice that some people did not change their language, Mm -hmm. and I I thought that might be inappropriate Mm -hmm. in a a business meeting. Um, I'm not a believer in, well, I just want to – it's me, I am myself, if you don't like me – well, that's your problem, not mine. Yeah. I don't, that to me, I think it works for some people and some people will get the respect, but I think for me, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I've found success not being that type. And I'm not saying it's wrong to be, no. to say I'm real and you're going to get, what you see is what you get. Um, but for me, what being real, for me, being real is, I try to accommodate the listener. Yeah, I agree. I'm that type too. I am definitely, I, I'm in me, that's why I was um, wanting to like reiterate or think about it in, in terms of connection, right? How do I mm-hmm. best connect with the people in the audience that is across from me and the listener? How can I connect? How can I understand them? Because I feel like if there's a connection, once there's a connection, then we can move on like then we can dig deeper then we can form conversations yeah. right it's not just me as my way or the highway yes that's one approach right. and and I think we're in this environment today where if we want influence if we want to make change there first has to be that trust and that connection and it's going back to what you said can they look back at you and like think think hey I can relate to this person they're similar mm-hmm. to you, yeah. right? People want to talk to you or someone that they're similar to or they have some type of uh, connection with. And so if, if yeah. you just find one thing, right, a genuine thing that you can connect and relate to the person about or the audience about. Yeah, I feel yeah. like that is, for me, um, a much stronger, a better approach for me as well. And so I really appreciate that. So even just finding the nuances of um, each audience, it's not just the gender or the 
the um, the age, right? It's also deeper. There's right. a lot of nuances that we want to consider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And going back to the the original uh, communication leadership principle, make a decision, um, and we'll criticize it later. I feel like that is so key, especially for female that we because we want to do what's right or we want to make sure we do what's right or we're afraid that we're going to do something there's a lot of mm-hmm. I work with a lot in uh, females and they have this doubt and then so I, I think that that is so huge right just to make a decision we'll criticize it later because our we have so much criticism already <laughs> right we don't have for, we don't have time for criticism right now. We'll criticize it later. Let's later, action and then know that everybody's going to criticize it. You can criticize it yourself later. Yes, but maybe there's a time and a place for criticism. But right now, we're going to take some action. Right, right. We'll block Four it. o'clock tomorrow. We'll yeah. criticize it for five minutes. I but think that's today, good. I love action. that. I love that. I love that. And to take some action and at least there's movement, at least, and then we have more information to criticize or not. Yeah. <laughs> or, or just to have more information so that we know whether we're in the right direction or not. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. I love that. And, and what do, what do you think is the key challenge around implementing that? Is the repercussion? <laughs> yeah. It could be. I mean, I, well, I think that's the repercussions are not exactly the challenge because that's criticism, right? In your yeah. head, the, the repercussions, that's the worry of, well, did I make the right decision? I think it's making a decision that might be fatal. Like, yeah. Right. If, and, and so how do you avoid that? I mean, you can't be perfect, right? But if the situation requires action, you have to make a decision and trust that all your preparation beforehand was yeah. sufficient. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, if, if we had more time, if we had unlimited time, then maybe we could be perfect. But so many times in our lives and in our work, we just need action. We just have to take action and deal with the repercussions as they come. Yep. Yep. And when I help people with speaking too already, it's like they, you practice enough, you practice enough. Let's just do it. Let's go. Yeah. And we criticize yeah. it later, or we can look at it later and we can talk about it later, but at least trust once you go into what you're about to do, the situation, whatever they may be, it's just trusting that you, all the preparation that you've done is enough because there's not that, you know, we don't have that luxury of time anymore. We just got to go. And so just trusting that and then and then staying present, staying mindful in the moment, um, it, that will take care of itself and knowing that that's enough. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I love that. That's so amazing. So what is, and I, I want can I ask you the question that I ask all my guests, what is the golden communication tip or technique that you can share with us? Golden communication tip? Yeah. For me, it would be, Slow down. Awesome. So after having said, just make a decision. We'll criticize it later. Oh, that's it would funny. Be slow down in your speech. Yes. Just slow down. Yes. And think, and then talk. Right. I, I can tend to speak too quickly, so I think a key tip is slow down. Yeah. Because the listener is actually absorbing your words. They're right. not thinking they're, that you're speaking too slowly. They're actually trying to absorb the words that you are saying. So slow down. Right. 
it exudes confidence. It exudes confidence. Slow down in speech, but not decision. Exactly. That is awesome. That's golden. Drop the mic. (laughs) Yes. Mic drop. Mic drop. Mic drop. Slow down in speech and move quickly in decision and action. Yeah, I love it. And that's like the overall leadership approach. And I, I love that. I'm, I, I've learned so much and I really appreciate that. That's so key. And I trust that people that are here, the audience that are here, you've taken some key nuggets for yourself to improve in your communication, your leadership. And I want to thank Kay today for her time. Thank, thank you, you for having me. This thank was so, so fun. Much. It was really fun. Until next time, take care. I'll see you. I'll see you later. Thanks for joining the conversation today. Are you curious on how you measure up with your ability to speak and flow? Come grab my free self-assessment at speakinflow.com forward slash assessment. This assessment only takes a couple minutes to fill out. You will get your results within five minutes. See how you measure up with your ability to speak in flow and an unshakable confidence. Take the assessment, click on the link in the comments, and I'll see you on the other side.